Today in the show, we're talking about understanding risk. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and I'm joined with my co-host Trevor. And today we're talking about a topic that we mention a lot here on the podcast, but that we're actually dedicating a whole show to. Yeah, and I think risk is a, an important topic. It, it gets framed in a negative tone quite often, but risk is actually a good thing. Risk is is where, hopefully, if, if you approach risk the right way, risk is where good things possibly happen. So you mentioned just right off the bat that risk is generally observed as a negative thing, but you have said on the show before that you are pretty risk adverse. I am and I I struggle with risk. So we're going to, I'm always looking for ways to deal with my, my weaknesses. I'm a a self-help guru. I'm forever trying reading books and finding articles and podcasts that are going to address the things I struggle with. And I struggle with risk. And I, I off, this is the, Whenever I've, the problem with risk is it it comes in two forms. There's the risk of doing something and it not working out or it working out and the risk of not doing something. And and the risk of not doing something, the, the, the downside to that one is you often don't know the outcome. It, It takes longer for the outcome to unfold or to reveal itself into you know whether it was a good risk or a bad risk. I'll give you an example. Uh, my story, I moved to this small town in the, I'll call it the middle of nowhere, but it's pretty isolated for a, a pretty good paying job, but it, it was the only job in town in terms of good paying jobs. So I came here knowing that was a risk and it worked out remarkably well, but I, I don't know that it, I, I don't know that it worked out any better than what well, actually let me finish that story so the company i left went out of business so re, you know hindsight there was no risk but when i took the job here there was a lot of risk because if it didn't work out i i would have to relocate myself again and all the expenses that go with that you know the real estate commission legal fees moving expenses so i i think i took a i, I left a very stable safe job to come to a job in a very isolated community, hoping it would work out. So I love the concept and this topic of risk because while it really does plague us in our personal finance world, it also is a thing that affects us in all aspects of our life, whether it be with the relationships we have in our life or I guess career opportunities does always circle around back to personal finance as well. But risk is something we can all relate to. And Trevor, you always talk about the dynamic kind of between doing something and not doing something. So whether, and I I obviously want you to talk about that, but whether we want to or not, we are always engaging. Every decision basically is a risk. Would you agree with that? It is, but you can't be too dramatic. You have to look at the, uh, you, you should assess risk on the consequences of it not working. A lot of times, you know, should I pack a lunch or not pack a lunch? <laughs> I guess there's an element of risk to that, right? But if, I mean, if, if you don't pack a lunch and you end up, you know, having to buy a lunch for 15 bucks, the risk is you you thought you might find lunch for five bucks, but you end up spending 15. I don't know, but you, the, the stakes 
would be pretty low, right? So yeah, no, it, I was referring to more the big sense picture items that the decisions that we do make that are bigger. Well, here's the problem though the the big the big high consequence decisions where we have to we we don't have perfect information, but we have to make a decision, and that decision has an element of risk to it, right? It, having imperfect information, you could choose option A when, you know, given hindsight and perfect information, option B would have been the better choice. So there's there's some risk there, but you, you have to really assess what, we're going to get to this later in the episode, but what's the consequence of the wrong decision? So risk is not the magnitude of this, the decision, it's the magnitude of the consequences. Oh, I love that. That That is so true. So uh, Trevor, we we are talking about risk today, but would you say, and I guess we've, we've ha- you have mentioned this on the show that you are someone who kind of falls on the more, I guess, anxious side of the continuum if we're going to kind of place you on it somewhere. So we will talk about how personality is, risk is driven and our, our perspective of risk is driven by personalities, but I do feel like you are at the place where you view risk as a positive thing, or is it still something that kind of brings more negative emotions upon you? So when or if even did you come to terms with the idea of accepting risk into your life as as a positive thing? Well, as time has gone on, I've seen risk as opportunity. If, If you didn't encounter risk in your life, you would, you would, life would be utterly boring. So risk to me is, is, is an opportunity to, if there was no risk and you just picked, you know, you, you, your, your path in life was predefined and you just, life would be incredibly boring. So I view risk as a, is a positive thing. I, I, Every decision you make in life has an element of risk to it, and if you view it that way, then it's it's not so overwhelming. It just risk becomes part of your day to day life. So I want to talk about. I mentioned personality. So how does that come into play? Because we all know that we definitely have different tolerances to risk, or or at least that's what I would assume. So, in, this is an observation of mine. There's people tend to fall in two, two groups. And I talked about this earlier is people either are, they're cautious people and their risk is not doing something. Their, their risk is in action. That's the risk they're always taking. And then there's people who are more outgoing and they, their risk is, is choosing an action and it being the wrong one. And the benefit of, so the, the person who, who's, you know, got a hair trigger and they make decisions on a whim and, and they, their risk is going to be, they're going to see the, the consequence of the risk they took or the benefit of the risk they took more immediately. The person who deals with inaction, the person who's cautious and, and hesitant and they reach a, a crossroad and, and they decide to make no decision, which in essence is a decision and comes with risk. The consequence or outcome or the benefit of their inaction is it tends to be a longer time horizon in terms of did this work out or did I suffer consequences? Would you say that one personality type is more advantageous in the society we live in? 
I don't, even if it was, I don't think you can change. You, you can't rewire who you are. If you're a cautious person and you, you're hesitant to make decisions, so inaction is your risk. I, that's just the, the way it's going to be. I, I, you, you can, I, I guess, acknowledge that's your weakness and, and know you should try to make more decisions than, than not if, if that is your weakness, in fact. But I, I don't think you can choose one over the other. It's just the way you, you're wired. And do you believe that we are either cautious or less risk averse based on the subject that we are facing a decision to make upon? Or do you believe that across the board, if you're cautious, you're cautious. It doesn't matter what the, the how big or how little or what type of decision you're making in terms of whatever kind of financial outlay that might involve. Well, this is a tough one. So I'm in my 50s. I can look back and I have, I can look back because I have this long time horizon compared to someone like yourself in your 20s. I can look back and, and say, I, every decision, every risk I've taken, I have, I, I have in, benefited from more risks I've taken and I have suffered consequences of risks I have not taken. So my inaction, looking back, I, I have regrets on my inaction the things I I did take action on and do and in in assumed the risk that went with it, I have fond like I, I'm I'm glad I did those things. Those things worked out. Because there's almost that belief that if you take on a decision, so your decision to move your family to a small town and kind of sign up with the only employer within that small town essentially was a risk. But if there's a will, there's a way, I think was that at all something that kind of helped make that risk something that was manageable, doable, and something that was sustainable? Well, every risk you take in life should be calculated. You, you should have some sort of uh, a set of assumptions in, in a, a predictable outcome that you're working toward, but you know, there's, you're working with imperfect information, so you have risk. But you, you should be doing these things hoping to be in a better place. You, you should only take risk on in your life if you, in fact, think it's going to lead you to a better outcome. Here's an example. My favorite example, the $65,000 truck. So let's just say you don't own a car at all. You don't own a vehicle. And you go out and buy a $65,000 truck. You have introduced risk into your life. You now have somebody who... You owe money to that. To me, that, that you've you've brought risk into your life, and the only benefit you're getting from that, for the most part, the average guy on the street, is status. So, is that putting you in a better place? I, I'm going to say probably not. Especially if that truck is simply a mode of transportation, the same way that a small economy car would be. Then I I, I agree with you. Now, just say you're a contractor. And this is your your livelihood of, of of doing repairs on people's homes, and you bought a a sixty five thousand dollar truck. You're doing that hoping you you can get to your job sites on a regular basis and move building materials around. You still took risk. You still brought risk into your life. You 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 went into debt for a truck, but it's hopefully it's going to lead you to earning more income in the future. Oh, for sure. 
I, I want to go back to kind of talking about, so we know that risk, the level of risk we're willing to take on or not take on is, is due to personality, but what are some other factors that would influence our specific risk level that we are, are kind of willing to take on? So risk is relative to you and only you. You can't compare, you, you can't look at your neighbor and say, well, he took a risk on uh, buying a new car. Or he took a risk on, you know, changing jobs and say a new, a new employer has moved into your town and they've set up shop and your neighbor goes out and gets a job there. And uh, it, it looks like it's working out for him. You know, he took a chance. He left a stable job to go to this new employer who, who knows how long they're going to be here, but they're paying really well. I'm going to take a chance and take that job. Well, that person's risk, you, you can't look at it and, and say, okay, that, that's a risk I can take too. It is, it is, risk is unique to you. And it's one person's moderate risk is somebody else's extreme risk. So you, you could have two people the same age, working in the same uh, industry, same line of work, like two accountants side by side. One person's extreme risk is somebody else's moderate risk. But some factors you can you can weigh in on are obviously your your level of income. So if, if you're going to make a purchase, your your income as a percent of what you're going to spend on your significant purchase, say you're going to buy an RV, like a, a, a fifth wheel travel trailer, and it just say it costs forty grand, and you know just say you make a hundred thousand dollars. And another person makes fifty thousand dollars, and you're thinking about buying a forty thousand dollar RV. Well, obviously, the that level of income is going to impact how much risk that brings into your life. Another even another factor could be your debt, your current debt level. So, if you're thinking of taking more, bringing more debt into your life, your existing debt level, if if you have a a huge mortgage and you bring in a huge truck payment, uh, versus somebody who's got no mortgage and brings in a truck payment, obviously. The risk level for those two people are different, and just your overall net worth. Just so just say you you don't have any debt, but you're saving for retirement. Like your your net worth, your total assets minus your total liabilities. That's that's another way of looking at risk as a factor of how your risk is different than somebody else's. And one to not not forget is age. So I I say age is when I was younger and I I, I made a bad decision. So I I just say I made a decision to buy some stocks. And the company I bought the stocks in, they went bankrupt. Uh, so I lost all my money. Well, if I'm in my 20s, I got a long time to recover from that bad decision. But if you're in your late 50s, early 60s, and you make that same decision and that same outcome happens, you, you have like almost no time to recover from that. Like if, if, again, assuming you put significant money into this investment, buying these stocks, the company goes bankrupt, your age is a factor in risk. So I think level of income, debt level, your net worth, and your age are, are four factors that would distinguish your how risk is unique to you compared to a friend, neighbor, uh, relative. So I do love how you very blatantly stated that we can't compare the risk we take to other people because we do, and we've talked about this, we live in a society where we like to compare ourselves to other people and what our next door neighbor, friend, colleague are doing. So I, I really like that clarification. But I want to zero in on age because this one I think is really key. So in your life, Trevor, you have kind of obviously your in a very different stage, you're, you're just mere years away from retirement. So how have you had to adjust your 
risk, kind of your risk mentality, or because you were kind of maybe on more on the cautious side of the continuum, has this just been something that has naturally evolved very intuitively over time? Is there anything that you've had to kind of pull your back, yourself back from and restrain yourself from engaging in just because you know that the consequences will outweigh the positives? So from an investing standpoint, I... I used to invest in individual stocks, so individual companies. I'd buy some stock in and and hope it would work out, and and I would buy and sell stock frequently doing that. And as I've got older, I've transitioned into index funds, uh, partly because I read a book called The Simple Path to Wealth, which was a f- I, I highly recommend that book. Sold me on on in index funds. I was kind of sold on them before, but this kind of reconfirmed why I was doing it. So index funds, if you, if you think of a, just say you bought stock in Apple, why not mention Apple <laughs> when I get a chance, or Microsoft, you know, any of those big tech companies, you can buy their stock on, on any, the New York Stock Exchange, Toronto Stock Exchange, and you can, so those companies are individual companies and their stock will go up and down based on their uh, business performance and the, just the supply and demand of, of people wanting to buy and sell the stocks in those companies. and But you can also buy an index fund. So the S&P 500 is a market index. It's, it's made up of 500 stocks that the company Standard & Poor, that's what S&P stands for. They think these 500 companies, they represent the the stock market uh, well. So they've, they've created an index saying, as these companies go, so does the whole stock market. So that's that's an example of an index fund. So rather than trying to beat the market with the individual company like Apple or Microsoft or Google, why not be the market with a market that mimics those indexes that measure the market? So I, I go through that long example to, to, to explain that this is my risk adverse sh- coming through and partly because of my age. You know, I'm a risk adverse person for sure. But as I get older... I, I, I buy these index funds because I feel I don't I don't like the chance of the whole market collapsing like a one company just say Apple puts out one bad iPhone their stock could just plummet anyone's familiar with a company called Blackberry they were a smartphone maker back in the I guess was it the middle mid 90s late 90s and they went uh, completely I mean they still exist but they're just a fraction of what they were if you had any Blackberry stock you you, you just you know, one bad phone and it's it's over. Oh yeah, and and, and that's a really good, um, good 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 example. And, and so, w- just kind of just, just to clarify about the um, the index fund, it's more like it, it sounds like it's a representation then of the market. That's that's correct. Just to make sure I'm understanding. It is, but it, I mentioned it in this example in that it's to s- take risk out. So in that representation of the market is. If one company has a bad day and their stock plummets, there's a chance another company in that same index is going to have a good day and their stock is going to skyrocket. So, it, it, but if I were if I were willing to accept more risk, I would I would take a chance on one of those individual companies doing really well, and I'd put all my money in that, right? So there, but then that company could fail, right? They fail, or they could just do poorly, and their stock would go down, and you would you would have lost money. Whereas if you're in the index, I like the chances of but something going up when something else goes down, but there's not as much of an opportunity to make money doing that. 
So the rewards are, are a lot smaller with an index fund. Definitely. I, I do have another question when it comes to age. Actually, two other questions. My So my one question, when it does come to age, I know you were in your 20s. I am in my 20s. And we've talked about this on past shows. We had a whole show dedicated to kind of the uncertainty that exists in certain periods of your life, depending on where you are in your life. But when you were in your 20s, I mean, there must have been a lot of uncertainty that you experienced, as you do now, but just in kind of the general personal finance sense. I'm sure you kind of, like you, like you said, you have experience kind of going through more things than someone my age who, who was in midst of my 20s. So while you may be kind of more eager to take on risk, such as the investing example, in what other ways were you more, maybe more risk adverse in other ways than you are now? Well, you know, in my 20s, I remember the first recession I went through. I The sky was literally falling. I mean, it was <laughs> it was terrible. And people were losing their jobs and, and their houses and their cars. And But prior to that, I, I had no knowledge that like I had heard stories of recessions but I'd never lived through one and even as a kid is recession my parents never lost their jobs so I never really felt the 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 harshness of the recession because it are if you don't lose your job you kind of don't even know what's happening so I partly my ignorance when you're younger that you don't you you kind of don't acknowledge risk because you you don't know what you don't know right you don't know recessions can be you know crippling to somebody so once you see one recession well you think that's a blimp you know that that's that only happened once that's never going to happen again and then 10 12 years later it happens again so now with a bit of hindsight you can say what well, this happened twice this clearly this could happen again so now you 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 kind of you're reluctant to take risks because you you've seen this happen before. You you're starting to see a pattern, and not only that, as you get older, you end up with more financial responsibilities. And if you were to lose your job in the event of a recession, and you're do what I did, you move to a town where there's just the one really good paying job, and just say the recession hits, the company I work for goes out of business. Everybody that works there, they have to sell their house. To, to relocate, well, you we've just flooded the market this in this small town with houses for sale. Guess what? The price has to go down if you want to sell your house. So now you're selling your house at a loss and you're trying to find another job, move to another town. So you start to assess risk in a more finite level because you have more financial responsibilities. You, But I'm still at an age, say I'm in my 30s, I'm still in the 80s where I think I can recover from a, a bad outcome, but I, I I have more responsibilities, so I'm more risk adverse for that. But then I'm getting into my 50s, and it, here's what happens: is you once you've you know worked for 30 years, you just say you're invested in a company that goes bankrupt, and you lose all your retirement savings. Well, the thought of having to work another 30 years or work until you die is kind of a a miserable thought. You're getting kind of tired of working as it is. So you become caught, you, you, you kind of become risk adverse for different reasons as your life unfolds. I love that example. That is one that going kind of circling all the way back to 
the recession example, that is one that you only truly can feel or experience. And maybe you actually pretend you remember a recession the first time around and, and you were kind of aware of it. I mean, until you are a fully functioning adult, paying bills, living on his own, supporting uh, maybe a family, you don't maybe realize the extent to how that actually feels. So that's a really, really great example. But I think it's important to understand that if you're, if you're risk adverse in your 20s, just say you're very cautious and risk adverse in your 20s, you, you're probably going to forego a lot of opportunities in life. And, and that, that's probably a, a bad thing, right? You're going to forego great job opportunities that will build your career. You will forego maybe investments that could help build wealth. If actually buying a house is is a risky thing, I mean, real estate can go down, right? If you if you bought a house at the very top of the market, and a recession hits, trust me, the the value of your house is going to go down. You could potentially lose money, but a house is a great wealth building tool. If you didn't buy a house just because you're you don't want to sort of sign up for a fifteen or twenty year mortgage, and, and then be exposed to the risk of losing your job and then losing your house. If you don't want that kind of risk in your life, you will be forgoing a, one of the greatest wealth building tools we, we have in our society today, which is is uh, real estate. And while we can always maybe pretend you decide not to buy a house, like you said, there's still maybe come that point where it's less advantageous to buy a house if, if the market swings the wrong way. So there is definitely a sense of, of risk to that. I, I do agree. Here's a risk I, I hear a lot of people saying right now. So we're in just this crazy hot housing market right now in 2019. And I hear people say this, if I don't buy a house now, I'll never be able to afford to buy a house. That, 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 that's, that's a risk I've heard people say they want to take. And that's disturbing to me. When you, when you start talking like that, that that's um, risk speculation. I, that, that's the... I, I think speculation is the worst type of risk you can take. And, and and where's that coming from? I mean, my guess would be fear or anxiety. Well, I, I think in that, that example, the people are, are concerned that the housing market is going to get away from them. Let's just say you're trying to save up a down payment for a house and houses are going up at a rate of, I don't know, 10% a year. And you, you're, only, you're, you're saving uh, at a rate of 5% per year. The housing market is getting away from you. Every, every time you save another thousand dollars, the house you wanted to buy just went up by $2,000. So it's, that's, that's the mindset. You know, if you're, if you're taking risks based on speculation, I mean, you should make risks. You're making, you're going to make decisions in life with imperfect, imperfect information, but speculation is not a calculated risk. I love that. Uh, we will move on. So we are going to move on to when, um, what we should do when faced with important financial decisions and, and what we should ask ourselves. But Trevor, I do have two kind of final questions to, before we move on from talking about the factors that influence your specific risk level. And one, it, it kind of circles back to age. I'm just, I'm just curious again about if so, this doesn't exactly sound like you because you are more of a risk adverse person. But what happens? And I guess this could at anyone at any age could maybe still feel this way. But what happens if 
you, and I'm going to use risk and it's more kind of traditional, well-known sense. So, I mean, if it doesn't apply here, like correct me if I'm wrong, but what happens if we take all these more risky risks, if I can say it like that, and we start feeling invincible. We start feeling that everything is going away. Everything is working out. We can keep maybe keep kind of riding on the side of, of, of riskier risk. Like what, what, is this is this is this good? Is this we be confident in the, our abilities to take good risks, or are, are we just kind of blindsiding ourselves for maybe something that could lead to something not so positive? I mean, if you keep making decisions with imperfect imperfect information and it keeps working out for you, then I'm going to say you probably aren't taking a risk. You just think you are. Ooh, I like that. So, so, so what does that look like? Like, how, how do we know if it's actually a risk? I mean, I mean, we might answer this later on the show, but why, why might it feel like a risk if it's not actually one? Well, a lot of times, again, you're, you're working with imperfect information, but your information is less imperfect than everybody else's. So you, you know something most other people don't, but you still don't know everything about a particular thing you're you're investing in, just say it's you're investing in, you happen to know more about a particular industry than, than the average guy on the street does, but you don't know that you, you this is a case where you don't know that you know so much. <laughs> I and, and when you, you throw around the word imperfect information, I mean, that's making me cringe a little bit inside because I think we all like to, and I guess that's where we get that, that frozen in place can't make a decision because we feel like we can't make a decision unless we have all the information. But I, I really like that use of um, imperfect information because it really does accurately describe the, the reality of, of our life and the, and the decisions we have to make. Well, think about taking a new job. So you you don't know. I mean, you can go to an interview and you can ask your, your prospective employer a million questions trying to understand what the job entails and getting to know the person you're going to be working for. And you could, you could go to like five interviews and just, you know, grill these people and, and think you, you have all the information, but you, you don't know until you live it. So I think imperfect information, like here's a, here's one, just say you're trying to maximize the life of the roof on your house. I don't know why I go to (laughs) roofs on houses all the time, but they're a lot of money. And just say you don't want to get a roof any sooner than you need to. And you you look at your roof and you say, well, this shingles are starting to curl. I wonder if I, I should try to stretch one more year out of this roof. And so you don't know enough about roofs. So you go get a roofer guy to come in and look at it. And he goes, oh yeah, you got to replace that roof this year. And you think, well, I, I might as well get three guys, you know, three quotes. Another guy comes in, he says, oh no, you get another year out of that roof. So you got imperfect information. You got one person saying your roof is done. Another person says, oh, you can get another year out of that roof. The risk is it's going to damage your home. It's the roof's going to leak and it's going to end up costing you more money. So here's imperfect information. You got two roofing experts. One says replace it. One says extend it. And just say you don't have the money for the roof. You're going to have to borrow the money to put the roof on it. If you, if you do it this year, if you do it next year, you'll have the money saved up. So th- this is a great scenario. So imperfect information, what do you do? Do you wait a year, risk you know, the roof leaking and causing more damage to your home that's going to cost you more money? Or do you borrow the money, pay interest, and get the roof put on this year? 
That's imperfect information. So just say, you say, I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to wait till next year till I have the money and your roof doesn't leak. Well, then just say it's time to replace the windows in your house. And you think, I wonder if I could get one more year to these windows. I don't have the money, but I will next year. And you you get a window guy in to look at him. Says One guy says you could get another year to these windows. Another window guy says, no, you should replace them this year. Do you roll the dice again? And next thing you know, your windows are leaking and damaging your house. So it, that there's a risk to that, right? So it's, it's, it's imperfect information. But if it keeps working out for you, I'm going to say you probably, are you lucky or you just, uh, I, I, I don't know what, what the answer to that is. It's just you're dealing with imperfect information. No, that's a, that's a phenomenal example. And, and if you're not dealing with imperfect information, if you have all the facts, then you're not taking a risk. Well, you know what? Just say everybody looks at your roof said that roof is done. If you don't replace that roof this year, you, it is going to leak all winter long. If everyone tells you that, and you don't put the roof on and it does leak, did you take a risk? <laughs> or are you just not making a decision that needs to be if, made? If 10 roofing experts yeah. told you you need a new roof right away and you don't put one on, did you take a risk? I'm going to say no, you didn't take a risk there. You made a bad decision. Yes, yes. I love that. That's such a great distinction. One final question for you before we do. I'm mean, just saying you should never take a <laughs> You should never take a risk with your roof. That's a, Trevor. Trevor's top, opinion. If you've ever seen a house that had a roof leak, it is just disaster. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, side I, note. Side, aside. My final question for you before we do uh, kind of move through the show is you you have raised a family. So you started out um, your life with without a family, obviously. You raised a family and now your kids have uh, moved out. So how has... I'm going to assume that you were a little bit more cautious with risk because you were carrying um, and supporting your, your family. But what, how, how was that, how was your kind of approach to risk putting aside, if possible, your age and the stage you are in your life um, nearing retirement and how, how has kind of it looked? Is, is it kind of the same on both ends now that your kids are gone or, or what has that really looked like in kind of a very broad level sense? Well, my, my desire to not have to, my, my desire to be financially independent and not have to work in the future unless I choose to has, is make me risk adverse in that I, if I was willing to work another 10 years, I, I would have, I, I would be taking way more risks in life because I'd have 10 more years of income in front of me, but I hope to have one more year of income in front of me. So I, I am, again, I'm risk adverse for different reasons in state different stages of my life. So when you're in your 20s, you you're really in a, you're in a nothing to lose position. You know it or not, whether you know it or you don't. You don't own anything. You don't owe anything. You can take chance upon chance. You got nothing to lose. But when you have a family, all of a sudden this is a different reason to not take risks at that point. And then when you're in the end of your career and you have less earning years in front of you, another reason not to take risks, but they're, they're different reasons, but they, I'm probably just as risk adverse as I was in my 30s with a young family as I am in my 50s approaching retirements, but for different reasons. No, that, that makes sense. So I do want to move on now to a, it's kind of inspired by and from an article from Forbes. And it's six, it's a list of six 
And these are, when faced with important financial decisions, we can ask ourselves the following things. And I, I obviously financial decisions are, are generally big nail-biting decisions. So we're going to go through kind of the six things that we can ask ourselves to maybe help make that decision ease ourselves into the decisions that we do have to make. So number one is what is the worst case scenario? So I love this, ask yourself these questions. So if you, you have to, you often, if you're a risk adverse person, you often think you're taking a risk, but when you actually ask yourself these six questions, you start to realize this isn't such a risk after all in certain scenarios. So worst case, what's the worst case scenario? So if you, if you are wrestling with a decision and you, you're struggling and what's the worst case scenario is a great way to look at it. I mean, it's kind of a, you could be a pessimist or an optimist and, and still cloud your judgment, but it, at least it's a starting point. So if the worst case scenario is not life-changing, life-altering, then the risk is probably not huge. Or if it's a outcome that you could live with, then that really kind of helps answering that question too, I assume. True, yeah. If, if, if it's an outcome that you... You know, it wouldn't be your ideal outcome, but it wouldn't be horrible. You're right. If, if that's the worst case scenario, then how bad could it be? The next one, and I love this one, how will my life change and who is impacted by the wrong decision? And so this is one where if you have a young family and you are, say, a single, the, the, the breadwinner for the family, you ch- changing jobs, you taking on a, uh, just say you're a, um, you work in, marketing and you want a opportunity for the marketing manager comes up well you get into in a management role and the responsibilities go up and and with that obviously there's more compensation so there's a reward but the chances of you not succeeding i mean you you're now in the firing line the the limelight you you're a difference maker with your employer you have to deliver at a different level if it doesn't work out and you have a young family this this could impact you know everybody who you support. So, but if you're in your twenties and you take a, a, a job that may, maybe looks a little beyond your skill set, but would be a great career builder. If you see that opportunity in your twenties, the risk is it, it, it could be both of those jobs are just that much sort of outside of your comfort zone. But the risk to somebody in their 20s is, is is not even close to the risk that somebody's taking in their 30s with a young family. I'm not sure if I'm sidestepping the conversation when I ask this, but just for any listeners who may be in the same shoes that you were in, move your family to a small town and kind of assuming the risk of a one employer town, what strategies, what did you kind of implement in your life to make sure that you were accepting just enough risk within the workplace, but not too much that it kind of set you outside of your comfort zone while trying to maintain a stable income in this job without relocating your family. So actually what happened was I didn't, I was offered promotions into management positions over the course of the time, my time working for this company. And I didn't take those opportunities because the risk seemed too large. So that that's how I compensated for that. If I worked in a, in a city where there was lots of jobs and lots of opportunities, 
I probably would have been quicker to accept those promotions and and with, if it worked out great, if it didn't, I could go into a different place and get a different job, not disrupting my family at all. So I think being in a small town, one one employer, I was very risk adverse. And 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 with good reason as well, given the given given the elements at play in your personal life. So number three, so the third thing we can ask ourselves when faced with an important financial decision is what potential remedies are available? So this is if your decision goes bad. So if you take a risk and it doesn't work out, is there solutions to minimize or mitigate those those outcomes so they're, they don't get really bad, right? So I, a good one is a, is a just say you take a promotion that's a little outside of your comfort zone and it doesn't work out, what's the remedy? So in my situation, the remedy was, chances are, if it didn't work out, I was going to lose my job and I would have to relocate my family. That's a pretty harsh remedy. For me, it was. If you live in a metropolitan city, you take a job a little out of your comfort zone and it doesn't work out. Well, when you pull your driveway, you turn left and start to right, you go to a different employer, get a different job. So the remedy is, is a little more palatable. I don't want to sound like a total optimist here by asking this question, but there are obviously are wrong decisions or or decisions that maybe lead to undesirable outcomes. But at what level could a potential remedy be to change or shift your perspective? And I, again, I, I ask this knowing that that really doesn't work in all the possible situations because there are some truly unfortunate situations, but has this been something that has ever kind of come into your life in the fact that something has happened and you say, you know what, let's roll with this. Maybe this was, uh, this, this outcome was meant to be, maybe this is just a part of the journey or my path in life. You know, I, I, again, being super risk adverse, I, I, I have, I have not, I guess when you buy a used car, there's a risk that this car has been mistreated, it's been abused, it hasn't been maintained properly. When you buy a used car, you don't get the warranty. That that's, you know, when you buy a brand new car, you do get the large payments in the in the 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 expensive car, but you get the warranty with it. You, you so a new car it represents risk, and they try to offset the risk by giving you 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 get a very reliable car that's not going to cost you anything because it's under warranty. You buy a used car, you're getting it, I'm going to say, about 50% off the, the new price if you buy it old enough. But it doesn't come with a warranty, and you may have some maintenance costs. You know, you could lose a transmission in a used car, and that's on you. you got to replace it. So the, the, that is a risk I take every time I buy a used car. It, but it it's worked out. You know, this is, this is the thing you were talking about earlier, Courtney. It's worked out for me so many times. I may be just one used car away from having a really disastrous experience who knows it hasn't happened yet and i i i tend to doubt it ever will but i keep throwing caution to the wind maybe every time i buy a used car and and it sounds like you you kind of therefore are accepting in this um, specific example you are accepting the fact that if your car just stops running tomorrow that you know what that's what you got for buying not what you got what but what kind of the cards you were dealt by 
buying a used car. That's kind of where the path led you for buying a used car. And you probably are a little bit more accepting in your perspective, I'm sure, will be a little more positive knowing that you did, in fact, buy a used car and, and all the maybe invisible pro- problems or challenges that came along with it. Actually, this happened with my a used car I bought. So I bought a, a used car in the month of January. This is going back a few used cars ago. And uh, I bought it and I never thought, the car came with air conditioning. And I never thought to, you know, just give that air conditioning button a push Ooh, just to make sure. Why that, would you? It, you know, I, I just assumed they said the car came with air conditioning, that it had air conditioning. So I'm driving along. I've had this car for about six months. First hot day, I reach over, I hit that air conditioning button. No. No air conditioning. No. And I, I've been driving this thing for six months. So I go back to the dealership where I bought it. And I said, hey, here's what happened. And the guy said to me, he says, well, you know, when you when you buy a used car, you take a risk, right? That all the things, he, those, he used the word risk. Wow. But we'll take a look at it and see what it is. And so it turns out it was just the, the, the button itself was malfunctioning. The air conditioning itself, all the mechanical parts of that were actually working. And they, in their good conscience, they, they covered the cost of the switch. I think it was a hundred bucks. They replaced the switch at, at their expense. And, but the guy did say, Hey, when you buy a used car, you take a risk. So, and so now every time I buy a used car, I run that air conditioner. <laughs> Regardless if it's negative 40 yet or not, right? But just say the air conditioner thing was completely shot and it didn't work. Let's just say that's how that played out. And the guy said, well, you buy a used car, air conditioner works. It might not work. You know, that's on you. And I ended up paying, say it cost 1500 bucks or $2,000 to replace the air conditioning in this car. Just say that was the outcome. Would it change me buying a used car in the future? You know, would, would, would that, that risk and that bad outcome make me buy a new car? I'm going to say no. But just say every time I bought a used car, I had a story like that. Then I'm saying I'm not taking risks anymore. Let's just say I'm, I'm four cars in and, and I've, I've never bought a used car without having a, a $2,000 repair bill shortly after I bought it. Let's just say that's, that's I'm going to say I'm working not with imperfect information. I am working with bad information. I'm making bad decisions. The inputs I have are flawed. So I'm going to say if this happens over and over, that's not a risk. That That's flawed input. Your information you're using is is wrong. I so I first of all I love that example, but I also love the perspective, the kind of the spin on bad decision after bad decision. Because my what I was running through my head as you were telling that was I, I maybe I would just give up making dis, or taking risk. I would just be like throw my hands up in the air and say, "Whoa, I am not doing anything risky or t- or taking any type of risk ever again." Because I'm probably going to get it wrong. But I love that it's all it does kind of boil down to just the information that you had at the time probably wasn't complete. So I do like that more rational approach. Uh, here's another way to spin risk. So let's just say that happened to me and I said, I'm going to buy a new car. So let's just say I buy a, I'm just going to throw round numbers out, a, a brand new car and say it costs $40,000. And this I could buy the same car five years old for $18,000, like less than 50%. And, and these are real numbers. I, I know I could find a car that's even four years old for half the price of a brand new one. That brand new car, think of, of that you have 10, and a car's going to, let's say a brand new car's going to last 10 years. 
So you buy that car, you have 10 years of car inventory is a way of looking at it. You have, you have ten, you, you've paid up front for 10 years of car life. If I, if I buy that same car but four years old for $20,000 and just say it's only going to last me eight years or, or seven years or, or even five years, I have $20,000 wrapped up in five years of car inventory or car life. Which one holds more risk? Hmm. The, the, actually, the, the new car holds more risk. Yeah, that thing, it would. You, you've tied up more money that has to last uh, a longer period of time, right? So that, to me, you, you've introduced more risk into your life. That, that car has to deliver 10 years of life. Oh, yeah. For, no, for $40,000. Yeah. Dollars. yeah. But the, the used car only has to deliver, say, five years of life for $20,000. Wow. There's, there's, there's less risk. So that's, so why did I not give up on used cars? That's the way my mind works. That's the way I look at, at risk. That's so counterintuitive, but you, you're right. It's, it's just kind of your input versus your output. That's, that's a great example. I want to keep moving through this list. So number four of six, um, important financial decisions we'll make and, and how we can kind of ask ourselves um, if, if this is, if this is a good financial decision that we're making and walk ourselves through that is what would have to happen to bring me to a different decision. In other words, to recognize that the risk is too great for the potential reward. And I think this is an important point. You have to look at the reward, the, the upside of, of spending money or cause this is a personal finance podcast. So if you make a decision to spend money on something like just say you're and so you're spending money on something even worse if you borrow money to buy something. You, the reward has to be even greater than just spending money you saved. So if, if you're borrowing money to buy something, the reward that something delivers has to exceed the risk of taking on that debt. And I think that is so important when you're buying. So if you're buying something that goes up in value, just say you borrowed money to go away to school and you don't know if you're going to get a job in your field or if, if there will be jobs in your field, but you borrow money to go to school, you're taking a risk that, that this is, you're going to, it's, you don't even know if you're going to really like this line of work. So there's a lot of risk in, in borrowing money to go to school, but the rewards are, the potential is to earn more money, earn more than say minimum wage or, earn uh, a comfortable income or or be able to work in a field you really are passionate about. So that that's the reward, the potential reward. The risk is you're borrowing money. And if you don't get a job in your field, you, you may not have enough income to pay this back in 10 years, this, this student loan. So, but to borrow money for something that's going to go down in value, like a truck, I mean, they just go down in value the reward better be you're a contractor and this thing is going to get me to my job site with all the building material I need to do the jobs. That better be the reward. If the reward is to drive it around as a status symbol, that, that's a really bad reward to borrow money for. So number five is who can provide me with more information before I make my decision? Again, this is a question to ask yourself when faced with an important financial decision. So this is one where uh, I use the roof as an example, get a roofing expert. But 
quite often, this is the one that I, this drives me crazy. So just say you want to buy a, a brand new car and you're a young person and you go to the bank and they say, well, you have no credit history. We, you, your job doesn't really pay enough for the car you want to buy. If you want to, if you want to borrow money to buy this $65,000 truck or this Camaro, uh, you're going to have to get a co-signer because we, we, we are loan experts, right? We're, we're in the, we're in the business of loaning money and getting paid back with interest. And we, has, we don't we don't think you have the credentials and the the ability and the the wherewithal to repay this debt. You know we're not confident, so we want you to go get somebody, you know obviously a family member, somebody you know, to sign along with you on this loan, to say if you don't pay it back they will. And this is a bank not wanting to take a risk on you, and they're in the business of loaning money, and and so. Anybody who co-signs for somebody to buy something, I'm going to say it's going to go down in value. I think that's crazy because you are all of a sudden, you've become a loan expert. You, uh, you know who is capable of repaying loans. Obviously, you know this person. It could be your son or your daughter. But the bank, they're experts on assessing whether people are getting into a loan they can actually repay. So they don't want to take a risk on you. They're experts. So don't try to, this is an example where I'm saying, don't try to, I would ask the bank, you know, why is it you won't loan the money? Like I'd, I'd want to understand what, what bridge they're not willing to cross. Well, it's such a good example because I think just like credit card companies, I think there is this desire to want to make money from um, providing credit or providing a loan and, so so when even those people say no, then you're right. The red flag should go up. I, I, I don't know if this question would fall under number five here, but who can provide me with more information before I make my decision? But when we, when we look towards other people's experiences or other people's opinions, I mean, how does that come into play when we are maybe a little unsure about a, if a risk is worth it? And is there, I'm sure there's danger to looking outward to other people who you are looking for maybe more information from. Well, as I said earlier, risk is unique to you and only you because there's so many factors that come into play of why you would be more risk adverse or less risk adverse. I, I don't think you could look at even, just say you're looking at what your parents did and the risk they took. And you're, you're a generation later and you're thinking, well, my parents took those risks. Why wouldn't I? Well, I always say this in the podcast, never follow the generation before you. They, they're living in a different world. They were lived in a different time. Their risks are not your risks. So I, I, I think you're, the best input you can get to help make your decision would be a, an expert in the field. And the other thing, if you go to a family member, a parent or a sibling, they are emotionally involved. They're they're either gonna push you away from risk, or they're gonna push you toward risk, depending on their perspective. But I, I think getting input from a family member, you know, a parents are the are the absolute. This sounds crazy. I'm a parent myself. Their input is so tainted with emotion that they often are the the wrong person to consult for financial advice. 
and they're also a generation removed from you. So they grew up and lived in a different time than you are. And they're emotionally invested in that. If you make, if you take a risk and it doesn't work out, your, your parent is probably there to help you through those tough times. So they may at a subconscious level, not want you to take a risk because if it doesn't work out, they at a subconscious level know they're going to have to come to your aid. I, that's, it's, it's a phenomenal example because it's, it's very, it, it's almost again, feels very counterintuitive because you know, yet yeah, your parent wants the absolute best for you, but the, the subconsciously they are a little bit clouded in their judgment and, and, and in their advice maybe that they offer up. Lastly, in this list of questions we can ask ourselves, and again, this list of questions and all the other show notes that we, um, the things we talk about in the show today will be in the show notes. You can refer back to it after. But number six is, can I live with the regret regardless of my decision? And this is the one where your indecision is going to have your, I have had more regret from, from not making decisions. So inaction, the only problem with inaction is it takes a long time to unfold before you realize that your inaction was a decision and there was an element of risk to it, but you just let it happen to you. So I always say this, don't let life happen to you. I have let things happen to me over the years and realized it was my inaction is a, is a regretful decision. So I, can you live with the regret of a, of making a bad decision? It's a question worth asking yourself, but I also would ask, can you live with regret of not making a decision? For the purpose of learning from you, is there any decisions, whether they were ones that you made or ones that you didn't make, um, you, you do. You did mention earlier that there was some things that you do regret. Are there any maybe less fragile ones that you could share with the listener just to get understand the sense of perspective for you about what a regret looks like, like in your life? I don't know how useful it would be because, again, something that I would describe as a, a risk I took would just be a maybe a routine decision for somebody else. Yeah, so, no, you are right. Given get, You're right, given that risk like you said at the beginning of the show is definitely looks different to everyone else you are right i i i guess a follow-up question too then is is there are with those regrets are they were they easily identifiable i guess in your life and and have you i guess were you able to easily come to terms with them simply due to your nature of being risk adverse so my first job i worked at i worked there for 10 years. So right out of school, I got a job in a really good company. I worked there for 10 years. Looking back, I stayed there five years too long. Five years too long. I I didn't, I could have built a career a lot faster had I moved on to another opportunity. But I got so comfortable and the environment was so predictable that I got complacent. And so I didn't, and I remember seeing various op- job opportunities just in back then you'd see them in the newspaper. So you'd, it's not like I was actively seeking them, but I would see them and I'd say, eh, maybe I'll just stay here. You know, that, that complacency. So I, I think I, I wish I would have taken a few more career risks in, in life. And that I mentioned now that I moved to a isolated town, that was a, a career move I, I did make. And I wish I hadn't, I, w- I wish I would have moved just from a career standpoint, I, I loved raising my kids in this small town, 
But I, from a career standpoint, I wish I would have moved to a metropolitan city where, where I would have had more opportunities and more interesting career opportunities. So there is one where I, I wish I would have changed jobs five years sooner. And then I, I, I did make a move and I wish I would have made a different move from a career standpoint. I, I love those two examples. I think, I mean, it, that resonates with me. And I, I think that would definitely resonate with a lot of our listeners too, because jobs, again, is one that we can all really, really relate to. And here's something with risks is the more you don't take risks, the more daunting they appear. I can Ooh. say that from, from experience. So yeah, if you get in the habit of not taking risks, then you are actually feeding the monster of never taking risks that yes yes and and do you notice that within yourself i mean being more risk adverse or do you simply take as many risks maybe as someone who is more um willing to take risks but your risks are just maybe if not maybe not or more calculated or more safe or whatever word you want to use there so somebody my age may appear to take more risks than i do but i have only one year of earning in front of me, one more year of income in front of me, somebody else at my age may have 10 more years of income in front of them. So they would take more risks in life, financial risks, knowing they have 10 more years of income to recover if it doesn't work out. I have one more year of income to recover with if it doesn't work out. So again, somebody my exact same age would look like a high roller risk taker compared to me. So I, I let's I do want to move us through the show. We have two quick sections left to cover. We're going to talk about managing risk is really about managing emotions. We're going to talk about kind of the emotion that comes into risk. And finally, we're concluding the show with the four risks you should take. So the four risks that are worth taking. So first of all, so managing risk is really about managing your emotion. You are really trying to manage your reaction to possible outcomes. So are are we are are we and then in saying that kind of just naive to think that emotion won't come into play at all of them? I mean, we have talked about how our emotional brain is driving the car, but I mean, logic as well does have to play a role. Well, it's the outcome of a decision that that you where you evaluate the risk you took, right? When you're taking the risk, it's it's just it's not risk at the point, it's just a decision. You're really trying to manage how you react to the fallout of that decision. And it that's to me, that's when the risk presents itself. So in saying that, the first thing we should do then is perform a risk assessment when faced with a decision. And we talked about this in the, in the previous section, but a risk should be a calculated thing. It shouldn't be a caution to the wind. It should be something that has inputs. You, you receive information in, you process it. And I'm a big fan of writing things down on paper because in saying them out loud, don't let things bounce around in your head. So doing a risk assessment is documenting your inputs maybe having a conversation with somebody so you can say them out loud and hear them in the in your your voice say them like when you say it's only a $65,000 and it is shiny truck when you say that out loud if it sounds crazy then then that's part of the risk assessment right it's you saying it verbalizing it and writing it down seeing seeing your hand write out those $65,000 
and, and being okay with that. So the risk assessment is taking the inputs and processing them. The second area then where managing risk is really about managing emotion is risk should be calculated and absent of emotion when, whenever possible. However, I, like I just mentioned moments earlier, emotion is always at control. So how at the at control of our decision? So how does this point come into play? So this is is you don't you don't go to a uh, a car lot to buy a car without having a game plan and in understanding your 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 limitations your the range you're willing to work with so if 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 you if you go to make a purchase a big ticket purchase actually you know when you buy a house a house is bought with emotion without question but you need to step away from the environment so you can step away from the emotion and try to assess the risks you're taking. So when you're buying a house, you 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 would never sign the mortgage standing in the house you're thinking of buying. I, I think that's I'm not saying you can't do that, but I think that's a bad idea. You're you're standing in a house, you're you're emotionally caught up in this house. You're picturing your 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 kids running around or your future kids running around, you know, calling it home and you're going to sign a mortgage or a agreement to purchase this house in that house, I think that's a terrible approach. You want to remove yourself so you can re- eliminate as much emotion from the decision as possible so you can do a, a, a an accurate ric- risk assessment of the risk you're taking. So as you're saying this, I mean... It sounds like something that you have had years of practice with. You speak with to this point so confidently, but is this is this one that maybe has taken time to get good at at, at practicing, kind of making these decisions, taking risks without having your emotions intertwined within it, or is it just a really a matter of life that we never really get better at? Well, anyone who's bought a car, a used car, even a new car, although you should never do that, but <laughs> just just say you did. Disclaimer. Um, you, those people, they want to wind up as much emotion in you as possible. And they want, they, they want to get the emotion roller, emotional roller coaster going. They want you to get excited about this car. They, so they try to rev up all the excitement they can get. And then they give you the, the scarcity part. So it's all psychology they're using. I'm not, I'm not knocking these people. They're trying to earn a living too. But they try to wound up the emotion, the excitement. So that's the first step. And the next step is say, hey, this is only available today. This is it. You know, so, so now the fear comes in, right? So if, if you don't buy this now, uh, you know, I, I've got a, 10 other people that want this car. So the, the, that to me, those, somebody's worked you over. You are emotionally exhausted at that point. I, I've never bought a car the first time I looked at it. I, even the second time I looked at it. I'm coming back probably three, four times. And if that car's gone, that's fine. There'll be another one. But I I have never, and, and I remember buying a TV and I was in, uh, I think it was Best Buy. This is going back 10 years ago. And the guy said, you know, these are only on sale today. And I said, you know what? I, I'm not buying one today, but it's good to know they do go on sale. And he goes, but this one's only on sale today. And I said, I guarantee you, there'll be a TV on sale tomorrow. It might not be this TV, but there'll be a TV on sale tomorrow. If there isn't, you guys are going to be out of business because TVs go on sale all the time. 
So just, but so remove yourself from the emotions as much as possible. Oh, that's so good. That, that salesperson probably thought that you had lost your mind. I love that. Um, number three. So the third area when we're talking about managing risk is really about managing emotion is that risk should be offset with potential rewards. And Trevor, isn't this a given? No, and a lot of people will take risks and it usually comes in the form of borrowing money. I talked about this earlier with no reward at all except excitement. That That is the only reward on the table is excitement. And we know how short-lived excitement can be. So I, I think if you take on risk in your life, the reward should be you should not introduce any life is risky enough if you're going to introduce risk in the form of borrowing money because i'm talking about that one is this personal finance podcast there should be a significant upside to introducing that risk into your life i love that i love that Number four, so the last um, point within this list of how managing risk is really about managing managing emotion is that risk is minimized by not being married to very specific outcomes. And Trevor, you've talked about this point before, but how does it come to play when we're talking about risk? Yeah, so if you're married to a very specific outcome, if, if you need a house in this neighborhood with four bedrooms, it's very specific house, you that outcome you're, you're going to end up overpaying for specific outcomes. So when you bring, when you're married to a, a very, very, very specific outcome, it could be a job, it could be a car, it could be a house, it could be, uh, okay, I was, I'm married to a very specific retirement date. I, I have had, but when you get married to a very specific outcome, you are, the, the risks you have to take to achieve that very specific outcome become greater and greater and greater the more specific the outcome becomes. And, and you end up taking too much risk for that very specific outcome. That, that's the problem with, with being married to a very specific outcome. So that, well, that was that section. We're going to move on to, uh, I think, the most exciting section of the show. And that's where we're defining the four risks that we actually should take that are, are that, are you even encouraging Trevor? Are these ones that, before we even get into them, are these ones that you, I mean, I guess maybe I can't even ask that question because we all take risks differently, but are these, so these are four that you personally endorse and maybe have um, undertook yourself? Well, I mentioned these four in that these are the four, everybody, they might not even realize they're taking a risk, but you have taken risks if you've done these these four things and you probably will do these four things and just know that the, the, it, it is a risk in life. Nothing's guaranteed. These are four risks everyone, I, I say should take. These are four risks everybody probably will take. And I do like that acknowledgement that whether we know it or not, this is a risk and I'm sure that it actually comes up a lot with a lot of other things in our lives too that we do things that we don't really realize are risks ever or maybe until even just after the fact so there are four again number one is getting an education so getting education I talked about earlier the risk is you're going to take on student loans but the reward is you're going to have potentially an increasing in income so you you take the risk that 
you might not even get a job in your field. You might not even like the field you studied. It's all risk, right? It's, 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 nothing's given when you're going for higher education. But the rewards, they, it could be an increased stream of income for the rest of your life. So the rewards far outweigh the risks. Number two is relocating to a city. So this one is something that I think exp- the the smaller the town you grew up in, the more important this is. But generally speaking, to get job experience, you need to go where the job opportunities are. And going to a metropolitan city, if you happen to live in a, a rural area, means for sure an increased cost of living without question. It's going to cost you more to live there. Transportation is going to cost you more. Everything's going to cost you more. But what you're going to get is opportunities. Build your career, build your resume. So the, the, the earlier you can do that in your working life, the, it, it'll pay off. The, the sooner you can get that job experience, the, the sooner you can build your resume to make you look like a, a very resourceful person, the sooner it'll start to pay back in, in increased income. So Relocating to a city if you live in a rural area, this is a risk is is absolutely worth taking. So this isn't one that I would necessarily at first think is a risk, but it does make sense given how we have defined a risk. And when we go back to the concept of taking calculated risks, I mean, that totally applies to point number two here, relocating to a city because if we are, if maybe we are kind of starting at the bottom of the, the food chain per se in, in terms of, of getting a job within our career, I mean, and therefore making um, a lower a lower income, I mean, unless you really need to be in, say, Toronto, which we know has a very high cost of living, we could definitely think about moving to a different city with a lower cost of living too. So calculated risks really do come into play in every aspect. Number three is buying a house. So again, this is the third risk that you should or that most of us will take in our lives. So when you buy a house, you sign up for a, I'm suggesting a 15-year mortgage, but just say you stretch it to 20 years. You're signing up for uh, an expense that's going to be wrapped around your neck for the next 15 or 20 years. That means you have to find a job that at a minimum pays that mortgage plus all your other living expenses. So you've all of a sudden created a situation where you need a, a, a minimum amount of income to meet all your obligations by having a mortgage, by, by buying a house. Now that there's a risk that you, you couldn't, you might not find that opportunity close to where your house is located. So all of a sudden you've got a long commute on your hands or you have to sell your house. There's costs associated with that. So when you buy a house, you, you don't know if it's going to work out for the next 15 or 20 years. That's a huge time horizon. Who knows what the future holds? So when you buy a house, absolutely there's risk. But, and I've said this a million times on the podcast, in the form of forced savings, you repaying that mortgage, it is the greatest wealth building tool next to your income. Your income is your best wealth building tool without question. The second best wealth building tool most of us will ever encounter is owning or, or is buying a home, a house. It is, it is a great wealth building tool. It's the four savings plus the appreciation of that asset. It, it is a, a phenomenal wealth building tool, but there's risk associated with it without question. Last but not least on this list of risks that you should take or we might take is investing. 
So if you're a younger person, maybe you haven't done a lot of investing, but when you start investing, you start studying the market indexes and, and realizing just how much they fluctuate. And on any given day, you could be making money or losing money. And it's, it's all on paper until you actually need that money. So when you start investing, there's, there's risk, but you don't really realize the risk that you're taking because there's just numbers bouncing up and down. But when you get really close to retirement and using that money, Hopefully, you've transitioned that money into something a little less risky. But in doing that, you give up some reward, the higher returns. So you always want to have some money in a somewhat risky investment because the the earning potential, the rewards with that investment are going to be greater. So that was all four. And when we are looking at these, I mean, are we always going to experience or maybe feel the reward relatively soon after kind of taking on these risks? I mean, I know with education, that's usually a four to six, uh, two, maybe two to six year period. So we, we might see that reward as soon as we get our first job. But with these other ones, I mean, I guess it just kind of is a matter of time and each are probably pretty unique before you feel a reward. But if you don't feel that reward right away by taking on that risk, I mean, it's, can you, can you talk to that just a, just a little bit about maybe your experiences with a delayed reward and maybe questioning that risk with, with any of these, if that's been something that's kind of come up in your life? So when I ran in a circle of friends who didn't pursue higher education when I was in high school. So when I graduated high school, my a lot of my friends they just went out and got jobs and i went on to post secondary education and i remember my friends buying fancy cars with their high paying factory jobs and me you know driving my my parents car because i i could i was a student i couldn't afford a car and i i look back so even at my age i still look back at my higher education and the interesting jobs i've had and the very comfortable income I, I've enjoyed. I I look at the the risk I took going to post secondary education and the rewards. I still admire those rewards to this day. That is monumental. It's a it's a great example. So that brings us to the very end of today's show on understanding risk and and really what it is. So we we kind of started the show with talking about how risk varies from person to person and that our risk levels really will um, vary depending on uh, a a wealth of influences that exist within our life. We talked about kind of things we can ask ourselves when faced with financial decisions, how managing risk is really about managing emotion, and finally, the four risks we should take or might take or generally do take within our lives. On that note, thank you so much for being here with us for today's episode on Understanding Risk. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always do so by our Instagram or our Facebook at Simple Money Solutions or through our website, livelifesimple.ca, where we have a contact submission there form there or through our email at livelifesimple365 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We can't wait to have you back here with us for a brand new show next week. Until then, keep it simple. Keep it simple.